Amen. Good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> hey, uh, we are in 1 Thessalonians. We're doing our study through the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. And today we start in chapter 2, right? And listen, uh, you guys know this. This is no surprise to, to most of you. But if you're a visitor this morning, we are a very word-centric church in, a, in regards to we like to work our way through the Scripture. And uh, we think it's, it's the best and most appropriate way to rightfully divide the word of truth. And uh, all the scripture is to the benefit of the hearer, every bit of it. That's the reason, uh, I believe in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, it says, All scripture is God-breathed, right, and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, Right? Which, which basically means in right living before God, God's standard, so that, what? The servant of God will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the end of chapter 3. The beginning of chapter 4, it carries on why we are so word-centric. It, it literally says this in regards to uh, uh, the scripture in, in chapter 4. It says, in the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. That is the charge. Preach the word. Not your ideas, not your uh, ideology, not your lean of theology, but preach the word. I think if we can just rightfully divide the word of truth and just distribute it amongst one another uh, with accuracy and understanding and context, I think it will accomplish everything that God has designed it to accomplish, which is the redeeming and restoring of lives and people into a relationship with Him. Amen. That's ultimately what we're wanting to do, Kellen. And that is it. We want to bring people to an understanding of the love of God revealed in His Word. And we believe if we approach it through the Scripture, we can accomplish that. Amen. And so if you have your Bibles or you have your iPads, your iPhones, whatever, whatever you're using this morning to follow along, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And you're like, chapter 2 already, Trent? It only took you three weeks to get through chapter 1? Hey, I'm, I'm improving, getting a little faster. Um, not to say how long it's going to take to get through chapter 2, but we'll trust God in that. We'll trust God in that. Hey, listen, before we even read this, quick summary, right? What's going on in 1 Thessalonians? What's happening here? Paul is writing a letter while he's in Corinth to the church in Thessalonica after Timothy, right, and, and Silas returned to him. And we find this out, we, we understand this in Acts chapter 18. And the church in Thessalonica was born out of that huge no that God had given Paul about going into Asia Minor. Remember that first week? God said, no, 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 you're not preaching the gospel in Asia Minor. And he has a vision of a man crying out for Macedonia. So Paul concludes and those with him that it was the will of God to go to Macedonia. Remember, they slide into Philippi and they preach the gospel, right? Under a great deal of persecution. And then they, they're basically chased out of Philippi or led out of Philippi 
Sometimes it's one and the same, right? Sometimes the leading of God has us being chased out by men as well. And so they leave Philippi and they arrive in Thessalonica where a church is established over a period of three weeks, a young church. They, they, they vacate Thessalonica. They slide into, into Berea. And after that, they, they slide into Athens. And then they slide, Paul, uh, 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 in the transition from, from Thessalonica into Berea, into Athens, then into Corinth. He sends Timothy, and we understand Silas too, because Silas returns with them, back to Macedonia to check on the Thessalonican church. Right? The Thessalonian church. And we know this because of chapter 3. It says that Timothy comes back with this report. And so at that moment, this letter uh, or this report from Timothy reaches Paul. So Paul starts to address this young baby, basically what we would consider to be an infant church. Three weeks old, basically. Born under his teaching and the admonishing and the teaching of other people. And he, and he literally articulates that in a few verses that we may read this morning where it wasn't just him, but it was them. Okay, so let's look at that. That's what's happening. And so he's responding to this church. And you know what he's doing? He's wanting to encourage them and strengthen them. He's wanting to come alongside of them. You know what you and I need to be doing as followers of Jesus? We need to be coming alongside of one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another. We, we, literally, we literally should be the strength of one another and the Spirit of God in us expressing itself into the lives of one another. Right? I mean, that's who we are as followers of Jesus. That's who we should be as followers of Jesus. We should be the strength of Jesus in the lives of our brothers and sisters expressed through us. Right? Okay. So... Let's finally read some scripture, right? Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. Do not panic. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. I know you're thinking, oh my, 12 verses? But we're only going to cover 8 or 9. Okay, okay? And we'll jump, we'll piggyback the last few verses next week as we transition to the latter part of chapter 2. Okay, let's look at this scripture. He said, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But listen to these words. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. There's no sleight of hand in this sharing of the gospel. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery. We never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people. Not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, notice he said that, apostles of Christ, plural. And who is he referencing? Silas, Timothy, and himself. Now I'm not saying he, 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 he branded them uh, as having an apostolic ministry equal to himself, but he does use the plural apostles in referencing Timothy and Silas. So you work that out. However you want to start viewing Silas and Timothy in that sense.
But they were operating under this apostolic call and apostolic power. Because remember when he said, we didn't, we didn't come to you just with the word, but we came in the power of the spirit, right? In a demonstration of the power, uh, the dunamis. That's what he said. And he's including the other dudes, right? All right, all right. So let's, let's look at this. That even though as apostles of Christ we could have, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Let's just stop right there, Clark. We'll, we'll stop right there. We'll read. That's what we're going to cover. We'll read that. And we'll, next week we'll pick up. So let, let's pray. Pray for me. <laughs> I need you to pray for me. Because I want to rightfully divide and understand and share with you what we're reading this morning. So you pray for me as I pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, for my brothers and sisters, I pray that you would encourage them. I pray for our visitors. I pray for my, my sister Raven, Lord, that you would encourage her and her daughters, her family, as they encounter uh, your word and your presence this morning. I pray for every visitor. I pray for, for, um, uh, uh, for those uh, who are at one end of the spectrum of the age to the other end of the spectrum of, the, uh, of age, regardless of where they find themselves in life's experience and, and what's happening in their life. I pray for every family. I pray for every marriage. I pray for every husband, every wife, every mother, every father, every son, every daughter that's in the sound of my hearing this morning that your word would speak to them. And Lord, as Timothy, as you wrote Timothy, through your inspiration, teach us what we need to be taught. Rebuke us if we need to be rebuked. Correct us if we need to be corrected. But oh God, train us that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Father, we bless you and we thank you for your word and your people and your spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's, uh, let's look at those at first verse. Can we look at that first verse? Because I'm going to tell you, that first verse doesn't look like a whole lot, but man, there's a lot happening in these few words, okay? So this is the first verse. Check this out as this kind of unfolds here. He says, you know brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results, right? That's his very first statement in chapter 2 right there. And he acknowledges, and he wants them to acknowledge by saying, what I'm about to say regarding you isn't a mystery to you. You know this. He says, you know, and that's something that and, and then he refers to them as brothers and sisters that our, our work, our, our encounter with you was not in vain. Now you and I, as followers of Jesus, need to have this deep, resolved experience within our hearts that we absolutely know that we're in a relationship with Jesus, that we've been redeemed, restored right? Rescue, save, whatever terminology you would like to use to apply to a, a restoring relationship with Jesus. You and I need to know this, right? And he calls upon them, right? And appeals to them and their own undeniable understanding of the transformation that's taken place in their life. 
He said, you know this, brothers and sisters. Now, you and I need to be able, and, and when I talk about the, uh, the, the testimony or, or the, the witness of the Spirit, this is something that you and I as followers of Jesus need to experience, the witness of the Spirit. And the witness of the Spirit, the, the vast majority of the time, isn't accompanied in large numbers of, of corporate gathering uh, such as this or even larger numbers. The witness of the Spirit typically takes place within our lives when we're alone. Because the witness of the Spirit isn't necessarily witnessing to other people, but it's witnessing to you in your own heart and your own condition about the validity of your own transformation. And you know what it's about, right? You know what the witnessing takes place. You know how it looks. It's teaching. It's rebuking. It's correcting and it's training. When the Spirit is correcting you, when you're all by yourself, and your fleshly man or fleshly woman has a desire to do a given thing, but there's something in you that's so, so deeply uh, rooted that it's adverse to what the natural person would want to do. Where you have a desire in your heart to please God that you know isn't yours. Because left alone, Jay, that would never be your desire. You understand what I'm talking about? This is the witnessing of the Spirit. It is the, the, the aggravating of the heart to move you away from what would naturally appeal to you to embrace something that would not naturally but supernaturally would appeal to you. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you know what I'm talking about. When the opportunity to get ahead presents itself, and there's something in you that wants to do that, but then there's something in you that checks you so deeply and says to you, bad form. And all of a sudden, that spirit, this thing, bears witness. It is the thing people will say in conversations, they'll say things like, when I'm alone, I struggle with this or I struggle with that. And you may say to yourself, because I struggle with this or I struggle with that when I'm by myself, whatever it might be, your emotions, whatever it might be, you say, I'm not sure, Trent, if this salvation thing is really taking hold of me because that struggle is so real. And I say to you, no, the struggle is the testimony because if the struggle wasn't real, <laughs> you can go ahead and concede. To th that there has been no transformation. It is the fact that a, a struggle exists in your heart that bears witness that there is a dynamic within you that is warring, warring for your heart and your mind. And it's the spirit and it's the flesh. So when I talk to people, they say, man, I, I really have a hard time with this. I'm not sure if I, I'm saying, well, I'm glad you're having a hard time with it. Right? I'm glad that this thing is happening in you and there's a dynamic in you that's warring against the flesh because that dynamic in you isn't the flesh. It's the spirit. And it's his spirit. Because guess what his spirit isn't ever going to do? It's never going to willingly, willingly concede. His spirit never will willingly concede to the flesh. There will always be an aversion to those things that appeal to the flesh. 
And he, so he says this to these guys. But he says, you know. But then he says something even more. He says, brothers and sisters. Man, we ain't even got out verse 1. He says, you know. Then he says, he says, I know. Do you get that? Not only do you know that our work wasn't in vain, I know it because I've identified you as brother and sister. What Paul is saying right there is not only is this thing so real in you that it's bearing witness and, and producing in your life, it's expressing itself. It's expressing itself not just that you would know, but those who see you know. And that's what Paul says. Paul says, he, he refers to them as brothers. Man, this is recognizable. And then he goes on to say what? That our visit to you was not without results. Well, what is the results? It is that they're brothers and sisters. And they know this. And Paul knows this. Silas knows this. Timothy knows this. Now, can you imagine these three cats, when they're witnessing all this that's happening within this church is three weeks old? Can you imagine when these three jokers, full of the Spirit, right, are in, in their tent, man, and, and they're breaking bread? Can you imagine that conversation? Paul said, man, have you seen the change in these jokers in three weeks? Have you seen the change? And Timothy's like, man, these cats are on fire, right? You can, you can almost hear this, right? And Silas may be quiet in the background of the tent. Amen, brothers. Amen. I mean, that's a powerful, powerful realization. And you and I need to be convinced and our lives need to be expressing that it bears witness to this transformation that other people would know that something has happened in our lives. We're not the same. No one said anything about perfect. But oh, let me say this, under the influence of the Spirit, you better be measurably improved. <laughs> If you allow me to use that term, measurably improved, right? Right? Uh, okay, maybe. Let's, let's, let's go to verse 2. And this is what he says, okay? He says, we had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. There, there's a key phrase there, as you know. Now, how would they know this? How would they know? Do you think Paul, Silas, and... Tim, they came in there and said, hey, boys, we've been mistreated. Woe is me. Hear the gospel. Ah, uh, probably not. I don't know how many of you guys have ever seen a mercury dime. Anybody here ever seen, anybody collect coins? You know what a mercury dime is? On the back of a mercury dime, if you don't know what it is, I should have pulled up a picture. It would have been easier to show you than explain it to you. On the back of a mercury dime, you'll see uh, a, 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 a collection of rods that are wrapped in a, in a, in a, uh, 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 like a, a piece of material. And, and, and this, the, this, uh, these rods were about a, about a, about the size of your thumb. And these rods also had connected to them, at least one of them, an axe. And these rods were utilized and, 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 and they were, they were basically a visual expression of the authority of the Roman government. So whenever you were in any type of uh, judiciary hearing, there would be someone considered to be or called a rod bearer who would have these rods, and if the crime merited capital punishment, then the axe would be used 
to behead the individual. If it didn't merit that, then the rods would be unwrapped and one of those rods, or maybe many of those rods, under the use of many rod bearers, would be taken out and these inch or thumb thick rods would be used to beat people. And so these rods on the back of a mercury dime, United States currency, the mercury dime, it may have, they may have stopped stamping that in, in the 40s maybe, Jay, I'm not sure, but it, it was on there to represent the authority of the government. So Paul comes in here, and, and the scripture says right here, hey man, you knew that we suffered a lot, man, while we were in Philippi. He said, you know this? Because when they were in Philippi, Remember, they, they, they deliver this girl that's demon-possessed. And remember what happened, man? They were turned over to the authorities and the rod bearer. Go back and check it out. Acts chapter 16 and 17. Check that out. The rod bearer come out and laid a thrashing, an old-fashioned beating. I'm talking about a switch, the thickness of your thumb and wore these three jokers out, or at least two of them that we know of. Beat them and beat them. Three weeks later, after a Roman beating at the hands of rod bears, what I can guarantee you is that you are not completely healed at that point. You're probably still bearing the bruises and the stripes and the wounds, the open wounds, whatever may have been created under that severe thrashing. And flogging. So I would say when the Apostle Paul is coming into Thessalonica and they're preaching the gospel, I'd say when they saw him, they probably knew something had happened. When he strolled into Thessalonica, and he had a limp maybe. And his shoulder kind of slumped a little bit. And Silas, like manner, coming in, obviously having been wounded. They didn't have to say, look how we've been beaten for the gospel. They didn't have to say that. It was probably there to be seen. And so Paul says to them, you knew it, man. You know, there was no hiding it. We have previously suffered and been treated outrageously and feel about as you know. And with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Now here's the crazy thing. The reason they had been beaten by the rod bearers was because they had preached the gospel in Philippi. And so what he says right here, now with the help of God, with the bruising on our back to remember the last time we did this, the open wounds, the lacerations, we came to you and with the help of God, understanding that this could be the outcome again, we dared. We dared to bring you the gospel. That's a powerful powerful thought when it says we dared in the Greek it literally means to speak boldly or freely he was basically saying with the help of God man, even with bruises on our back 
We were bold enough to speak freely the message to you. And you know what he says right there, right? With the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel. Not Paul's gospel, not Timothy's, not Silas's, but God's gospel, his gospel. In the face of strong opposition. Now, with God's help, I pray for you and I, 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 I beseech you that you pray for me that I too, under strong opposition of this culture, the climate of the workplace, the climate within our schools, there's adverse conditions, there's strong oppositions, and there's going to have to be times that we dare to speak the gospel. We need to be bold enough to be free to speak the gospel. And it's a scary thing to do this. I'm not going to be the preacher who stands up and lies to you and says, oh, no, man, there's never any fear, man, of, 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 uh, of sharing the gospel in adverse conditions and in climates and atmospheres that's hostile towards the gospel. I'm not going to tell you that because you know it's not true. And every one of us, if you've ever shared the gospel openly, in a, in a venue that was hostile towards God and you didn't experience some element of fear, I'm not sure you're being honest or I'm not sure, sure it was the gospel you shared. You know what I'm talking about right there, right? You've heard those cats, man? They'll get on that church message. You know what I'm talking about? They try to keep it sweet. They try to make it, you know, you know what I'm talking about, that appeals to the palate. You've been in those, those secular environments where, where it's kind of hostile and you, you see a brother or a sister in Jesus and you're like, man, she's about to lay the gospel down. Then all of a sudden you, you're like, that don't look like the gospel. It sounds like church, but it doesn't sound like the gospel. You know what I'm talking about? And so what we have to do, we have to, with the help of God, dare, you know, be bold to be free, free from fear, Right? How about free from rejection? Has that ever stopped you from sharing the gospel? Okay, it's only stopped me. Okay. It's only, I'm the only one that's been stopped by fear of rejection. What about the fear of the outcome? I'm not going to share the gospel because if I share the gospel, it's like, what if it doesn't work? What if they reject it? What if it, what if it doesn't produce? What if they accept it and the next week the guy leaves his wife? Or his wife leaves him? Or their bills still don't get paid. Or their sickness still doesn't get healed. Then all of a sudden, all of these things in your mind, these ancillary things, these questions, all of a sudden begin, begin to encroach upon your confidence in the gospel. And all of a sudden, you no longer dare in the face of strong opposition to share the truth. And you begin to dilute it. And you begin to share something that smells like Church and the gospel, but it's really not the gospel. And Paul said to them, with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Let me encourage you by saying simply this. If you will trust in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to guide you, to 
If you allow the Holy Spirit to help navigate you in and out of these opportunities, I'm telling you, you can speak boldly when the Spirit says to speak. But you have to allow the Spirit control of your heart and your mind and you have to be willing to hear the no if he says no and willing to hear the go if he says go and when he does that if you move in that then the outcome isn't up to you the rejection isn't up to, up to you the fear doesn't have hold of you because you're in the spirit man you're walking in the spirit some of you need to be in the spirit. Some of you need to, to allow God, man, to start to uh, uh, express himself in your lives. Not just in the confines of the church, but I mean a real supernatural interaction with you where you sense and know that God is moving you beyond just an intellectual understanding. Confidence comes in the spirit. You think, Paul, hold him. Remember when he went up into Asia Minor? Remember Acts chapter 16? When God said no to him, God shut him down. Twi Paul twice tried. And God shut him down. And then when God turned him loose in Macedonia, in Philippi, the goal was enough. So when he comes in to Thessalonica with the bruises on his back, the goal was enough to face the fear, the rejection, the outcome. Because he had the goal, man, of the Spirit. He knew he was being led in here with the gospel. So, man, he could, he could ride this thing out. Whatever comes, I'm okay with it because it's what God has directed me to do. And if God has directed me to do, then he'll sustain me under whatever the outcome might be, right? That's the confidence. We, that's the confidence of the Spirit, right? Okay, we're about one-third of the way there. Hang in there, Kevin. Hang in there, my brother. And then the scripture says this. Listen. He says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. Right? Now what you get in this sense is when Paul shifts all of a sudden to where he's trying to justify to whatever degree, his motives and his intent, it's probably when you contextually read what happened to them in Philippi and Thessalonica and even in Berea, you probably understand contextually that he is pushing back against accusations made against him about having impure motives and a false teaching. That's what he's pushing back on. Right there. This is what he says. It does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. There's always going to be people, you know this, there's always going to be people who are going to challenge your message, Nathan, wherever you're at. And it isn't your message they're challenging, it's the gospel they're challenging. They just don't want to receive it. They don't want to come up under it. They don't want to submit to it. They don't want to conform to it. They don't want to be transformed. They want to maintain control of their own lives. So they're going to push back on it. And they're going to criticize the message because there's no other way uh, or there's no better way to escape accountability than to push back on the message and to render the message invalid. 
Because if it's invalid, then you can escape it. And so they're going to push back. And they're going to say, this is your motive, this is your intent, and this is your message. And Paul says, none of that's true. None of that's true. But what you and I have got to do is in sharing the message, we've got to make sure that our lives are expressing itself in a manner that validates the message that we're sharing. We cannot give the enemies of the gospel, and I've said this a thousand times, I'll say it a thousand and one, we cannot give the enemies of the gospel ammunition to blaspheme his name. And so we have to allow God to live out and through us. So when I tell people this is what the gospel has done in my life, they can see that it's done that. And they're not looking at me with two separate lenses saying, I hear or see this, and you say you're doing this. It's two different things. You see, you see, that's... I, I would ask you, and this is rhetorical, so I always say that right because I don't want 125 people shouting at me your response, right? The life you're living under the influence of God through His Word in conflict with your flesh, the life that's been expressed in your life, would you say that it is a conduit by which the grace of God is being channeled? Or would you say your life looks and smells and tastes more like a barrier between men and God? I don't know that anything would break my heart more, Chase, than someone were to come to me and say, man, I would have really given that gospel thing a chance had it not been for you. Oh, my God. I would have considered him had it not been for you. Can you imagine? He said, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. He said, on the contrary. It's the Greek word Allah. And it means a strong, adversative, or it is a strong, adversive conjunction. Meaning he's drawing a stark contrast between the accusation and the reality. He says, on the contrary. We speak as those approved by God. Dokomazo in the Greek means we've been put to the test. We have been distinguished through testing. You know what he was saying? My gospel is valid, or the gospel I carry is valid. We've been tested. We've been put through the test. And it's left me limping, and it's left me bruised, and it's left us like you see us. And we will not change the message we preach. Because it is valid, it is true. We've been tested, man. And he says this, we speak as those approved by God, right? 
approved by God. We've been tested by God and entrusted with the gospel. Entrusted with the gospel. That's a powerful thought to think because guess who's entrusting us? You give that a thought for a minute. You give that a thought. Chew on that one just for a second. Pistio, which is the word used for believe, when the scripture says, if you believe, in Romans 10, 9, if you confess and believe in your heart, that's pistio, it means to trust God. You know what word is used right here when it says entrusted with? Pistio. You know what it's saying? You've believed in God and through testing, God believes in you. <laughs> to be entrusted to carry the weight. And I ain't talking about just into a car. I'm talking about carry the weight into your home. Dad. Mom. Pistio. To think that God has done this and says this. And Paul articulates this. What if you're the only one that's been entrusted in your home? Wife, husband, son or daughter, maybe you're the only one. Did you know I was the only one? I was the youngest of 13 kids. I remember my mom dying. I was 23 years old. We were gathered around... That bed, remember that, Dwayne? You, we were there, weren't we, brother? In that hospital bed. I'm the youngest of ever, everyone there. And at the time, maybe the only one making a legitimate profession of faith in Jesus. I'm not saying others hadn't been to church. I'm talking about, I'm living this thing out. And I remember, I remember this clear as day. With all of us, 11 of us, two of us had already passed on. I remember gathered around her bed with 11 older siblings. In that moment, I remember just saying, Kevin, oh God in heaven, love my mom good. Remember? And I just prayed for my mom. I'm not saying anyone else didn't pray. I just know I did. And I say to you this one, if you're the only one, then make it count. Amen. Make it count. Don't shrink back, man. Don't shrink back. Because if he's entrusted it in you to be the bearer of the gospel, it means you've been tested and approved and trusted. Okay, where are we at? Verse 4, man, we got to pick it up. We got to pick it up. And then he says this, man, and this sounds really abrasive, right? Now, if I were to say this, you're saying, man, that trend is prideful and calloused, right? If I were to say, I'm not trying to please people. I'm not trying to please you. I'm trying to please God. Y'all say, boy, that trend, these are. 
But that's not what Paul's saying right there. And Paul laying his heart out there to these people who he loves. He says, we're not trying to please people. But God, who tests our hearts, he said, and the, the word test, present tense, right? Right? That's what it is. It's present tense, and it's active. It means it's continual. Meaning God is constantly, constantly testing. You know what that means? They're constantly submitting to the scales of God, their hearts. He didn't test us. He's test, testing. He's testing us. Not past it. It's constant. And then he says this. And I kind of like this, man, because he, he says, understand our strategy. He says, we know, or you know, we never use flattery. Now listen. Do you ever use flattery? I use flattery. I'm guilty at times. You know what I'm doing. Every, every man in here knows I use flattery. You know how they know? Every man that's married, let me say it like that, knows I use flattery. You know why? Because every man who's married, I go up to them and I always say to them, is this your daughter? <laughs> right? Right? Now you can do that with the, the husband. Don't you get that backwards? Don't get that backwards, man. That thing will turn on you quick. Quick. But it's not a patronizing, dividing, wicked thing. Paul says we don't use flattery. You know why? You know why? Because the scripture basically condemns flattery as it would condemn gossip. Proverbs 26, 28 said, A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Edmund Burke said flattery corrupts both the receiver and the giver because it's deceptive and its intentions are deceptive. You know the difference between flattery and gossip is? Gossip is saying something behind someone's back that you would never say to their face. You know what flattery is? Saying something to someone's face that you would never say behind their back because it's not legitimate. It's not honest. And Paul's saying, man, we were real. We kept it real. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. He's our witness, God is. Once again on the scale, and then he says, we were not looking for praise from people not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. When he says, we, are, we were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, guess who the anyone else is? Yourself. You know what you, man, I, when I talk to church people, man, I get to, I, especially those who serve, man. You know, you get these cats up here, you go, listen, we got some good brothers and sisters here, okay? So I'm not pointing this to them. But man, I've been in some churches, man. You, you talk to these, these jokers on these worship teams, and man, they, they full-blown rock stars. You know what I'm talking about? They, they come off that platform, man. They, man, I, play, I sung that good. You know what I'm talking about? Man, there's an appetite, man, in the flesh. 
to be all about doing the kingdom thing as long as it's pleasing you. But the moment the kingdom thing changes your direction away from being honored or being pleased in yourself, all of a sudden, man, that thing's abandoned. And Paul said, man, we're not about pleasing you or anyone else, including ourselves. There's nothing pleasing about being beaten with rods. Right? He's including himself. You need to include yourself. I need to include myself. We're not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. And he says, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. We could have made demands. That's not what we were about. And you know it. This Why do you think this church flourished in three weeks? This was the kind of modeling they were under. <laughs> Man, you think that stuff wasn't caught visually? And Paul keeps saying it. Read the scripture in 1 Thessalonians. You know. Okay. Even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. We're moving pretty quick. Now we're in verse 7 and 8 and we're about to close this thing. He said, we could have asserted our authority, but instead, there it is again, that contrasting, instead of asserting authority, he says we were different, man. We were kind and we were gentle. And he, he likens it unto children's care. We were like young children among you. Now listen, you guys know, and I've said this a thousand times, my mother-in-law owns a daycare. She's on the daycare, uh, the first group of kids uh, in her daycare, including Methuselah. I mean, she's had it for years, right? I mean, that, that daycare's been around. She has seen kid after kid after kid come through that. But there's something really unique about little children because every little kid, regardless of where they're at on this age spectrum, they always think the kid smaller than them is a baby. You know what I'm talking about? Every four-year-old thinks kids three and under are babies. Every three-year-old, two and under are babies. Every two-year-old is wanting to bottle feed the one-year-old, right? That's how it works, right? And, and it's, it's kind of unique because well, we, we've got this little kid at, at, at the daycare named Clyde. I'm not even sure if I need to expound on that. <laughs> Clyde. Clyde is 150% all Farm boy, farm hand. He catches bugs. He, he, he's, he's dirty. He comes clean. He leaves dirty. He likes it, and he wants you to like it too. That's who Clyde is. That's Clyde. He is the bounty man at the daycare, and he's only four years old. You could put him in a flannel shirt, and nothing would look more natural. All right, that's Clyde. But you know what's really funny? And I've seen this in Clyde, and that's a rough kid, man. That's a tough kid. But I've seen little babies come in, and the smaller they are, the more gentle he is with them. And he's rough with the kids his size, and even rougher with the kids bigger than him. But those smaller kids, he's gentle. And man, he, he's handling them kids with kid gloves, right? 
loving these little kids. Paul said, we could have asserted authority. That's not how we engaged you. We engaged you like young children among you. And then he takes it even further. And he says this, just as a nursing mom cares for her children, so we cared for you. And when I say a nursing mom, I know what's running through your mind. I've seen some crazy moms do crazy things. To, I ain't talking about that. I'm talking about a nursing mom at the purest of senses, the most natural of senses, right? No, would lay her life down. Would give up sleep. <laughs> would give up sleep for her baby. Give up everything. And Paul said, that's how we engaged you. Your nourishment, your well-being, and God superseded everything. And he later says, man, you remember how we work day and night not to be a burden to you? That's what he says later on in the scripture, though. He says, so we cared for you like that. Why? Because we loved you so much. How? You were there for three weeks. That's supernatural love. How do you love the, the guy next to you that you really don't know this morning? How do you know the lady, love the lady next to you that you really don't know this morning? How's that generated? Where's that come from? Paul didn't just say we loved you. Paul said, and if you look it up in the Greek, it's a whole different, whole different look to it. He said, we loved you so much. So much did we love you. Oh, God, give me that type of love for my brothers and sisters that I can look at you and say, I love you, Ricky Lowell, so much. I want to be able to look at my brother Collins. I love you, my brother, so much. More than even I have the capacity to love you. I love you with something that's in me that's not of me. I love you so much. Right? And so let's close right here. And he says this. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted, I hope we're all delighted, to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Man, no wonder, man. Man, no wonder that church was on fire. We not only share the gospel with you, we share lives with you. We gave access, full access. There's nothing, Jay, that exhausts me more than someone who has a faith that is married to their tongue and divorced from their hands and their feet to where all they can do is talk of God, but they can't walk with God and open doors for God. They can't move for God. They are divorced. Their faith is divorced from their hands and feet and married only to their tongue, 
And I think the scripture would say, Marissa, that ought not be the case. And Paul was saying, not only did we share the gospel with you, we shared our lives with you. We married what we have sent to you to our hands and to our feet, and we've let you in. All the way. Hey, yesterday, hold on, what? Yeah, my days run together. I'm at that age. Hold on, Ricky, I heard that. Ricky jumped, boy, Ricky jumped on that, didn't he, Colin? You're supposed to be loving me so much. He jumped on that. A couple of days ago, uh, my brother Weston, Conway, uh, he, he, Weston, you told me months ago you want to get baptized in you. And um, Weston's family, uh, they've had all this property, uh, farm, you know, he lived on his farm. He's had all this property in his family, in and out of his family, sold and purchased and, and more gathered. And he said, man, my life has been here, right, brother? You know, I've lived life here. And he said, uh, hey, Trent, if you don't mind, I'd like to get baptized. We were doing some baptism. He said, but I'd like to get baptized down here in this warm creek. <laughs> he said, could you do it? I said, yeah, man, you let me know when you want to be baptized, man, and, and we'll be down there, brother. And so his wife got tired of him putting it off, I guess. No, she, she said, hey, Weston wanted me to reach out to you and wanted to know if this Friday worked for you. And I said, yeah, man, this, this all works. And Weston sent me a picture. He, he had had an accident. His eye was swollen, stitches across his eye. I'm not going to get into what happened. Marriage counseling is on the horizon. <laughs> but, but... We go down there, and the family's down there, Ricky and them, and Weston's family. I meet his mom, his dad, I meet a grandmother, I meet a grandfather. I met some stragglers who, I don't even know if they were part of the family. They may have just showed up. I don't know who some of those people were, right? But they were beautiful, man. They were beautiful. They were beautiful. And so we go down that old creek, and, and Wesley would tell you, he kind of fooled me. There was these beautiful rocks, man, that looked like they were just in the perfect place. And I was wanting to praise God for it. I was like, man, praise God, man. He had created this natural stairway into this creek by which we could baptize him. Man, what a wonderful thing. Wesley said, no, I, I did that with a backhoe. <laughs> I was like, you scurvy dog, you should have stopped me way back. You should have told me that before we even got down here. Right? And so we get down there, man. And, and I'm the first one in the water, crawdads and all. Right? And then I heard people talking about snakes and this, that, and other. After I'm in the water, kind of, right? So you're in the water, and the water's cold. I step in, in the water, and the first thing I said was, whoa! I mean, I mean, it was cold, man. You've been in cold water. And what? His dad comes in, he gets baptized. His cousin gets baptized. And, and Weston comes in there. And we, we got some pictures. It's a, it was a really beautiful moment. And I'm, I'm sharing, you know, a little bit of scripture out of Romans 10. And I'm saying, hey, brother, is, is this your confession? Is this what you believe? Is this what you've accepted? He's all affirmative. It's a go. You know, we got like the takeoff. It was good. I said, brother, cover your nose. We're about to do it. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I, now, I had a backup, because Weston ain't a little dude. I had a backup there just in case things got ugly. And so I dropped Weston down there, and we pulled. It was a beautiful moment. 
<clears throat> Beautiful moment. And I remember upon leaving, I, I told West, I, I hugged Weston no less than four or five times that night. I told him, I said, I've hugged you more than I've hugged my wife today. I'm starting to feel like maybe I'm unfaithful. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what was going on in my heart. I told him, I said, hey, I, I need to go love on my wife. You know, and, and I, I, said to, I said to my brother, this is what I said to him, don't I? I said, man, thank you for giving me the opportunity to come down and be a part of this. You know what I was really saying to him? Thank you for sharing your life with me. Because his mother and her grandmother, I heard the chattering around the wagon, the wagons, the hay wagons that we had ridden down to the creek. I heard the chatter around the wagons about this memory, about what it would be shared, and, and these stories would be told of this event, and this would be a testimony. It was a beautiful, beautiful things I was hearing around that wagon, and the whole time I'm hearing about this story about his life and their life, I'm in the story. Because he's allowed me into his life. It's not just what's happening at 100 Hobson Way on Sunday morning at 11.05 to 2.30. But it's more than that. And this is what Paul was saying. That's what he's saying. Man, I loved you enough to give you the gospel and me. But it wasn't just him. When you read the scripture, he says this. And this is the convincing, powerful truth. This is the Jesus that's available to all of us. Paul doesn't say that about himself. He says that about them. And he says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. This gospel thing, this message, this mission, it ain't my mission, man. Don't give me a check and try to drop the responsibility and the weight on me. This is ours. Every person in here. We delight in sharing the gospel and we delight in giving our lives to one another for the strengthening and building of his kingdom. Amen. Amen. That is your call in as much as it's my call. And you and I together can fulfill that call. You've been tested. You've been approved if you're in Jesus. And you've been entrusted. Let's give out the gospel and give ourselves out to a world that needs Jesus, right? Okay, stand with me and we'll dismiss this morning. Hey, bless you. Bless you guys. Hey, just for a moment. Just, let's just bow our heads just for a moment. I just want to give you an opportunity. 
You know, I like what Paul said with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I like what Paul said. Man, there wasn't no trickery. I wasn't trying to trick you guys. And I'm not trying to trick you now. I'm not going to ask any person to come up here. I'm not, trying to, I'm not doing that to you. But with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no pretense, no anything. If you're saying in your heart today, man, it's a time for me to start. Not just sharing the gospel. I got to start giving my life out for the sake of the kingdom. I got to start giving myself. I got I to gotta, I gotta give my life away. It's not even my life anymore. It's his. If that's you this morning and that's the prayer of your heart, no trickery. Just raise your hand. That's all right. Great. Go ahead and lower your hand. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your gentle care of our hearts and our lives. We thank you for your love expressed to us and through us. Father, for every hand that was raised and you saw them, you marked them, you know them. For that person, everything that's in their heart that they desire of you, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus that you would pour into them. That they would know, oh God, in you, they too are approved and entrusted, called to be a gospel sharer. Men and women whose faith is married not just to their tongue, but to their hands and their feet. Oh God, may we be that type of body that can leave a place like this empowered and strengthened in you. For each of those people, honor the request of their hearts, we ask this morning. And for the rest of my brothers and sisters, encourage them and strengthen them. And may we go out of here empowered by your spirit trusting you. And it's in the name of Jesus we ask these things. And the sons and daughters of God said amen. 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 God bless you. God bless you.